Hello and welcome to the third episode of Divisible by Four podcast. Today I want to talk to you about my first experiences of cancer. As you grow up, you always think that nothing will ever happen to your family and you always, well I always thought that cancer was, was something that affected other families and other people and it was something that just happened but I was never really aware of of what cancer meant or what, what it could do to people um, and the devastating effect of its treatment and its process and the way people need to cope and the strength that, that people need to find and I guess it's something that I'd never really thought about. My mum had never been 100% fit and well um, throughout my childhood. She had uh, narcolepsy and, and cataplexy which meant that with the narcolepsy uh, she she fell asleep everywhere, anywhere. Um, that narcolepsy condition meant that she had a few years where she couldn't drive after she fell asleep at, at the, the steering wheel of the car and crashed into a line of traffic and that's that's a pretty uh, horrific thing to happen. I think I was about 11 years old at the time. And that that's quite difficult um to to understand, you know, that your your mum um can be in in such a, a situation in such an accident and that you know that actually falling asleep at the wheel is is something that can really happen. Uh not something that you just see on billboards um and and uh, service stations about about taking a break and taking a rest. But my mum's um, condition was was definitely debilitating in, in many ways. Um, the cataplexy, for those of you that that have never heard of, of that condition before, it's a little bit a, a little bit similar to epilepsy in the way that it happens, um, but it's it's triggered by emotion. So if my mum uh, used to get very angry or very happy, um, it, it, like laughter. Uh, if she found something really funny or if she found something really frustrating, um, that emotion within her, her brain would, would trigger almost like an epileptic fit and would, would just trigger all of her, her, her nervous system to become numb and she would literally collapse in a heap. Um, and the only sense that she maintained during that time was her, was her sense of hearing. Um, and that was... Um, a, re- a really bizarre and an interest. It's, the condition still interests me to this day because I I always wanted to do research into cataplexy, but I suppose with the story that I'm going to tell you in terms of how my mum uh, got ill and uh, and the the, uh, the, tr- the traumatic nature of that, I've I've never really delved much into um, into the condition of, of cataplexy, and maybe that's uh, something that we can look at further on in in the podcast, but. Simply, um, she would she would collapse, and this could happen anywhere, anytime. And and as a young child, I used to remember following her around with a chair, a chair with wheels on it, or, or a kitchen chair when people came to to visit. Um, and I knew that that maybe she was cooking, or she was uh, carrying a, a hot drink, and somebody would make her laugh, or there might be something on the TV that would make her angry, like something political, um, something emotional. And, and I would know I, I would be able to read the signs, um, and I was I was obviously oversensitive to it because most of the time she would know and she'd be able to to sit down or lower herself to the ground ready for the attack. 
but still I was I would say paranoid as a child that she was going to fall and, and, and seriously hurt herself crack her head open um etc so that was always a, a big worry for me um as a child um likewise was was the narcolepsy I was very very conscious um that she could fall asleep at any point for example um so she used to smoke um so I used to um be very conscious of her falling asleep with a cigarette in her hand which happened um which happened many times she set the sofa on fire once with falling asleep with a, a cigarette in her hand she used to fall asleep while she was cooking um and the grill or the um would would you know, how we had toast catching fire uh, bacon under the grill when she was cooking sunday dinner that was that was the big thing uh, cooking sunday dinner she often used to fall asleep whilst the roast was in the oven and the dinner would be burnt so i, I definitely wasn't immune to my mum being ill and the concept of my mum being ill um but her actually getting seriously ill was something that i couldn't control um was was a major blow to me so I was just over 30, um, young children, uh, two young children, and my mum came to uh, to our house for Christmas, and she just didn't look well. There was just something about her that just wasn't right. I, cu- I couldn't put my finger on it at the time, but she looked pale. Um, yeah, didn't didn't look well at all, um, and m- most stark was that she wasn't eating as much so I mean, my mum had a, a big appetite my mum loved her food she loved cooking she loved baking um she loved making puddings and this christmas she decided she didn't want much christmas dinner small portion for me please just a small portion she said uh didn't want any pudding and uh when we sat and talked that night she said oh i've just not not had a great appetite recently um not been feeling great um just a bit of a stomach upset not not got the greatest appetite and I said, I remember saying to her at the time, look, that's not like you. Please get yourself checked out. And as she left um, on Boxing Day, uh, my parting words were to her, please, please get yourself checked out. Something's not quite right. And less than 24 hours later, she, she collapsed um, at her home. An ambulance was called uh, and she was rushed into hospital um, with severe blood poisoning. Uh, and needed an emergency operation and that emergency operation lasted over nine hours um, and I was there with her and um, had all the conversations with the doctors that it was touch and go not sure whether she'd survive the operation not sure whether she'd survive the night and that's you know that's a, that's a really difficult horrific time um, for a daughter or a son um, I think, you know, when, when, when your parent is in that situation and at that time you have no idea if you will ever speak to them again um, and you're just sitting and waiting in that hospital waiting room, waiting for news, um, waiting to hear something. It's, I, I just cannot describe, I mean, the, the, the minutes seem like hours, seem like I was in that waiting room for a week. Um and then eventually, when she came out of out of um, the when she came out of theatre, um, the doctors talked to me and, and said that it was um, a perforated bowel, uh, and that's what caused the blood poisoning. 
Um, and as the days progressed, uh, my mum started to, to recover. Um, and she regained consciousness uh, and and started to uh, to become more aware of her surroundings, which was which was brilliant. But um, there was the uh, hanging thought that the the consultant wanted to talk and was waiting to see how my mum progressed in terms of of chatting to her. And I will never ever forget that moment when um, the consultant phoned me and asked me to come to the ward. Um, and he sat on the side of my bed and my mum wasn't, well, obviously wasn't fully well, but I don't think she was fully a hundred percent with it at the time. But he sat down and he talked to her about the operation. Um, and she'd, um, as part of the operation, they'd, they'd had to remove quite a, a large proportion of her bowel. Uh, and she'd been, um, given a stoma and a colostomy bag. And part of me thought and hoped, well, maybe that's just what the consultant wants to talk to her about, the implications of the, the colostomy bag and the changes in, 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 in her lifestyle that that will bring. And whilst I was gutted for her um, that she would have yet another disability, from where we were a week ago, uh, that night that I wasn't even sure she might survive, um, you know, that it just seemed like a miracle. Like, yeah, we, we can cope with that. I'll change it for you. You know, I... I I don't mind. Um, come and live with me. It'll be fine. Please don't worry about the colostomy bag. Let, let's just let's just get better and let's just get out of here. Was was what I was thinking, and I thought, oh, I hope it doesn't make it sound too depressing for her. But I hope that's what it is, and I, and let's just deal with this. But there was a nagging nagging feeling at the, at the back of my mind that 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 isn't all that he was going to say. And uh, as it as it was, that wasn't all he was going to say. So they removed a large part of her bowel. Um, and they'd fitted the colostomy bag, but sadly, unfortunately, devastatingly, um, they'd, they'd found a tumour, which obviously caused the perforated bowel. Um, and my mum was told she had bowel cancer. I mean, where do you go from there? And the silence and the world just stops. I think in that moment, the world just stops. For anybody who's had that diagnosis and anybody who's had that diagnosis for a loved one, that it's almost like it's surreal. It's like you're on the outside looking in. It's like this isn't actually really happening. And then the consultant went on to say that it had already spread to a liver. Um, and basically there wasn't much that they could do. And it was just heartbreaking and I looked at her and desperately tried to keep positive and she desperately tried to keep positive and uttered the words what are my chances how long have I got the consultant was talking weeks and months and you think after all we've just been through she's just survived one of the most difficult operations she's just been you know pretty much at, at death's door, pulls it through, recovering, and then you get that. It, it's just like, so hard to even comprehend. And it feels like I wasn't in the room. Still to this day, it feels like I wasn't in the room on that day. But I can still remember it 
so vividly, like it was yesterday. I can still remember it, and it, it, I can still remember exactly the sound of the consultant's voice, the look on his face, the way he sat on the bed, everything. I can't remember what I did after that. I can't remember where I went. I can't remember who I talked to. I can't remember that night or the days after it, but that moment, I can remember that moment. And my mum ended up being in hospital from New Year's Eve right the way through till the middle of July, non-stop, with rehabilitation, with more surgery, complications with the colostomy, um, chemotherapy. And it just seemed like that we were constantly in in, in a hospital. She was an inpatient in the hospital, constantly in the hospital, constantly dealing with medical emergencies um the the costume didn't go well um the bowel had to be reoperated on part of the bowel was reconnected um eventually they got rid of the the stoma because it wasn't working um, my mom had various stomach infections as, as well and then eventually it seemed seemed like years but it was weeks before she could start any course of of treatment for the cancer and I still don't remember what the treatment was for really uh, what we hoped to achieve um there was a lot a lot of positivity uh, a lot of praying a lot of cross fingers um but as soon as my mum started the chemotherapy she started the chemotherapy as an inpatient um and it was, it, it didn't react well with her. Now, I think that was probably because her body had gone through so much. Three or four operations, um, lots of infections, and then chemo. And in the second round of chemo, mum had a heart attack. Um, and obviously that, that was huge massive you know not only has she got cancer she, she's now got chronic heart problems um and she was in resource and um I remember thinking what else has she, has she got to go through this this strong woman and full of positivity never never once wavered at all in any of this um, just wanted to keep going, just wanted to keep trying new things, just just wanted to get out of the hospital, just wanted to recover. Um, so I decided she was going to move in with me. Thought, right, as soon as she comes out of hospital, this is it. For as long as she has got, she's going to live with me. I'm going to spend every single day with her. I'm going to devote my life to her, to caring for her, to having fun, so that she can live with her grandchildren, so we can go out and do things that we never would have done. And we made a list of things that we had to do. So some of that was visiting different places, going on holiday, uh, going to Alton Towers. She wanted to take the kids to Alton Towers. That was one thing. Um, she wanted, she, she set targets. She wanted to take the boys to a football match. Um, she wanted to go to, take them to Wembley. Um, she wanted to yeah, take them on holiday. Um, she wanted to see them both start school. And that was <clears throat> the critical bit. Um, she wanted to see them both start school. Um, and you know, that, that was that these milestones, particularly my youngest starting school, that seemed like that was 
a good couple of years off from where we were. Um, but she, we, she got out of hospital. She got discharged. Uh, the chemotherapy had to stop because her body just couldn't take it. Every time um, she was subject to the, to the chemo, it, there was different complications and different reactions to her heart, um, to her kidneys. And in the end, the, the decision was that it just wasn't wasn't right for her. So we had to take that on the chin in a way. There was nothing that we could do. Her, her body just wouldn't, wouldn't allow it. Um, and so we played the waiting game setting targets and we got on holiday went on holiday we took the boys to a football match we took the boys to Wembley um we did so many things that she wanted to do we we got through ticking all those things off the list the one thing that we didn't get to do was she wanted to take her grandchildren abroad ideally she wanted to take them to see the northern lights that was the one thing that I want to take them to see the northern lights I want to take them to see Santa um in Greenland I, I, she loved Christmas she loved winter she loved snow she loved the magical view of Christmas she got really excited at Christmas more excited than I've ever got you know she she made Santa seem like this this real figure and everything was magical and she wanted she wanted really really wanted to take the boys um to see to see the real Santa and go and see the northern lights but we couldn't get insurance for her to fly and you know that things like that, you know, it's like computer says no, we we just can't do it. And the frustrate this is somebody's life, somebody's last wishes, you know, some somebody's memories, my memories with my mum, my memories of my mum and her grandkids, and things like that just dashed because you can't t- tick the right box and you you can't get get everything in place, um, and we couldn't fly, they wouldn't let us fly. And we tried and we tried, we tried different ways around it. And in the end, we had to give up um, that we, we couldn't we couldn't go on that, that plane. She would never take them on a plane. And me and my mum had never flown together, never been abroad together. And that was one thing that, that we really worked hard to try and achieve. Um, but we did different things. We achieved different things. We went on holidays. Um, we went to, to lots of different places. And ultimately, she... She survived to see my youngest boy start school. And what an amazing achievement. What an amazing achievement. Two years after her diagnosis, um, she was there for his first day at school, walked him to school, held his hand. And that's, I think that's probably one of the, the biggest achievements I've ever had with my mum. And in the end... Um, those two, two years were probably the closest that we've ever spent together. Um, we spent every day after she came out of hospital, we spent every day together. She moved in. She was so close to her grandkids. Amazingly close. And all she ever wanted was to be close to her grandkids. As soon as, as uh, my eldest was born. She wanted to spend every day with him. Uh, she lived 80 miles from us, but she'd come up every weekend. Um, she absolutely doted on him. Uh, and then when the youngest was born, absolutely doted on both of them. Loved them to bits. And living with them for that time was, was just her absolute 
dream. She absolutely loved it. And that makes me proud. But also makes me sad. Sad that that couldn't continue. Sad that she had to leave them when they were so young. Um, six and four in the end. Um, she had to leave them and never saw them grow up into the uh, amazing children that they are now. Never saw them, you know, get make, make it to secondary school. Never saw them playing competitive football matches and she loved football. Football was her absolute, you know, obsession. Um, never saw them playing competitive football matches. Um, and, you know, now they're 13 and 11 independent people and, and she'd be so proud and she'd be so close to them. I know she would. You know, and that that's that's sad, really sad. Um, and, you know, it, it, at the time it was... a a miracle journey that she survived from from that day back when the consultant said weeks months she survived more than two years you know that that was that that was an amazing achievement it just shows the strength that she had and the positivity that she had and I think that that does that does have a big bearing on I I, I know some people may disagree but I think that strength and positivity and that never giving up and setting goals and wanting targets. I think, I, I think it, it goes a long way in battling this horrible, horrible disease for as long as you can. That will to live, that will not to let it beat you. And that's what she had. She wasn't going to let it beat her. She was going to give such a fight. And God, I wanted her to beat it. I wanted it just to disappear. But life doesn't work like that. Life, life's shit in that way um and I it it was just heartbreaking that it happened to her and a number of times why why her why why us but it happens to everyone no one's immune from cancer and that the sooner we find a cure the better and I'll continue to donate to to cancer research for for as long as I absolutely can because we need a cure to this you know cancer is is such such a horrible horrible um thing a horrible horrible disease and takes people far too young um and you know leaves leaves families broken um leaves leaves families leaves a void leaves a void in the family and it, it certainly did that um and it was the boy's <clears throat> first ever experience of loss and because my mum had lived with us uh, because their nana had lived with us and they'd seen her becoming more ill um they'd seen her struggle she struggled when it was cold that her heart wasn't um as good as as it, it used to be after the uh, heart attack during chemotherapy she struggled with her breathing because the cancer eventually spread to her lungs but still they saw her battle they saw her smile they saw her laugh her, the way her way through it they saw her carry on going to fitness classes um they saw her carrying on um, going to football matches, still walking the dog, still getting out there, never giving up, still cooking, still wanting to give them a hug every night, reading bedtime stories to them. They saw her battling, and I think that's a massive thing, a huge, huge experience and skill that they saw as young boys. Um, but they became close, and they were 
particularly my eldest son, was absolutely devastated, absolutely devastated. Um, and, you know, his, his first bereavement, his first experience of grief and cancer care were absolutely brilliant. Like, ca- cancer care were amazing. Um, they have such brilliant child bereavement counsellors. Um, and he was, he, he was brought under their wing very quickly had weekly one-to-one sessions um, to talk about his nano and talk about how he felt and to make a memory box uh, and, and, and all of that process that he had to go through obviously still affects him to this day. I think we still talk about his nano and he still remembers and we still talk about experiences that we had, those experiences when she was ill, those memories that she wanted to create, that she successfully created and all of that. Um, all of that is still there. All of that is still magical in his memory with the bittersweet taste, you know, magical, magical memories, a, a, a lovely bond that he built with his nana, living with his nana day to day. Um, but it just didn't last long enough. And that's, that's the sadness, you know, and I think we all feel that one way or another with loss. We all find ourselves thinking what would, you know, what, what would they have experienced? What they what are they missing out on? What a shame it is that they're not here. But actually, I think I also feel that pride that we've carried on. We've kept her memory. We still support the same football team that she, she supported. We still do the things that we know she would have enjoyed doing. And we still talk about her. And we still think about her. Um, and she would be proud of them. She definitely would. Uh, she would have loved all the experiences that they have. And that's important. That memory is important. Uh, and uh, having that legacy is really important. Well, we'll leave it there with that thought about legacy. But all I would say is if you've lost a loved one through cancer or, or, or through other means, if you've lost a loved one, just think about their legacy what is that legacy? How how are you going to remember them? And how are you going to keep that memory alive? And that's something that I think I've worked hard on in the memory of my mum. Making sure that we talk about her. Making sure that I, I can't escape thinking about her. I think about her all the time. I talk to her in my head. I ask her questions. I ask her thoughts. I play music that me and her used to listen to. Sometimes that makes me sad, sometimes that makes me cry. But sometimes it makes me smile and and remember. Remember all those times that we've had. She once said to me, better to forget and smile than to remember and be sad. I, I I don't agree with that. She left that in a note for me when I emptied her flat. She bought me a present that she knew I'd find. And on it she'd written, Better to forget and smile than remember and be sad. And I thought, no, Mum, that's not it. That's that's not what's happening. I'm going to remember. And sometimes I'll be sad. And sometimes I'll smile. And that's it with the music. I never know. Playing music that me and her used to listen to together take that to rule the world is one and sometimes it makes me smile and sometimes it makes me cry and it's unpredictable but I still listen to it 
still listen to that music, still talk to her in my head and still talk to her to the boys and still go to those places that, that she loved and do those things that she enjoyed. And that's the legacy and that's the memory and that really does live on. <laughs>